Welcome to another episode of Global U Talks, where college-age entrepreneurs travel the world and interview experts in technology, entrepreneurship, and the kingdom way of life. Today we have a pretty special episode in that the interviewee, Bob Mudd, is being interviewed by his son, Kelson Mudd, who's a student at Global U. And just to give you some backstory on Bob, Bob has served as both the CFO and CEO of publicly traded companies. He is now the president of Adventures of Missions. And we actually get into what does it look like to live in missional community and build the church? What does it look like to have a traditional acts church? How do we fulfill our roles in the kingdom? We also get into work-life balance and how does work-life balance differ from when you know, you're actually living a life on mission, and what does Sabbath look like? Um, these are all really important questions in our community, so I hope that you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Bob Mudd. All right. Well, um, so welcome, Mr. Mudd, also my dad, to Global Bee webinar. So I just wanted to open it up. First off, if you could just explain, obviously you're my dad, but what would, I guess, adventures know you as, and the what, what's your role? Just a little introduction to yourself. Yeah, I came to Adventures, uh, it'll be six years ago in June. And as you well know, Kelson, we were going through some challenges in our own home. Uh, and I came in as the chief financial officer. I've got a background in financial management. But over the series, a season of maybe a, a year or two, began to get more deeply into the ministry side of things. And I guess a couple of years ago, since a couple of years ago, I've been serving as the president of the ministry. All right. So just for a couple of my questions, obviously I have to ask the first one, which is, could you explain what you think the effects um, on the economy and on the church that the coronavirus will have? And after this, we'll get off the coronavirus because I have uh, a couple more things. But what are your thoughts on that? I'll start with the church. And I believe that the church has become very consumer oriented. And that has been the case for most of my Christian life where it is trying to market to an unreached group of people that are very comfortable from a consumer's perspective, but don't have the depth of intimacy with Christ that leads to to true joy. And that it has been markedly ineffective at resulting in deeply committed followers of Christ, not the ones like in 1 Corinthians that talks about kind of staying on milk, but ones that in mass would, would, would desire the, the kind of the solid food of the Christian faith and being okay with the deep mysteries of God, but having trust in him regardless. And so I think that the coronavirus presents an opportunity uh, for Christ and him alone to be at the center for people to really wrestle with what that means. And the, the fruit of that, I think has great potential. It, it, you know, you know, there's a, in, in a book uh, that I read some time ago, it says, if you uh, start by seeking to plant the church, you might get disciples. But if you are a disciple that makes disciples, you'll get the church every time. And so I think that it presents the opportunity because there's more intimacy at, in the home. There's a more of a dependency when there's economic strife. And it causes people to ask deep questions. So my hope is that the gospel get it, gets expressed in its purity. It lands deeply in people's spirit. And as a result of that, there's a revival. I mean, it's hap- what, that would happen in America, but so many people all around the world are experiencing, you know, variations of the same thing. Even in India, they're locking people down in their houses. You know, it's, 
billions right. of people. So as it relates to the church, I think it is burning away that which is built on the things of this world, and it's presenting an opportunity to, to stack it on the thing of, things of Jesus and his kingdom. Economically, you know, it's unprecedented. I have no idea. You've got a number of elements, including the interruption of, of commerce, where businesses don't have capacity to, to weather a storm like this. A lot of businesses don't. So you've got the government intervening at, at unprecedented levels. And, you know, the old textbooks on what, what this will result in economically, I, you know, it's nobody's ever written that book because we've never experienced it at this level. And so I don't know how quickly it's going to come back. I, 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 you know, people talk about a V recovery. I just don't see any scenario where that's the case. I think we're going to have to work ourselves out of a malaise. And ultimately, it will be an environment if the government doesn't take control of more, which is possible. It's going to be an environment where our entrepreneurs are going to have a rich soil to create new things because old things are going to be burned down. I don't know any other way around it. And I don't know how quickly it, it returns. And in the midst of that, it presents a really ripe opportunity for people to fall into the arms of government, which I am not a fan of, but that is the reality of uh, the progression of the West. Right. Yeah, that's really good. Sort of, I think it was Steve Watson. Um, I think it was the last person I interviewed, but he said, you almost, you have to look at this in terms of this isn't an economic crisis. This is almost a domestic war. You know, this is, we've just never seen anything like it. We have no idea what's. <laughs> yes. And it comes at a crazy time because you've right. got a presidential election coming up uh, and the two options are very, very different people. Yeah. Theologically, personality wise. Uh, I mean, it's going to be, if nothing else, it's going to be great theater. It will. <laughs> and we look at that the same way. But so just curious, I, what you said about the church earlier was really, really good. So what do you think, what do you think of like the characteristics? Like we just talked to Seth about this a couple of minutes ago. What do you think of the characteristics and like the fruit of a healthy church? Well, I mean, the, the, the simplest picture that I can paint is what you find in the second half of the book of Acts 2. And that is, you know, they met together around the table. They sat under solid teaching. They worshiped together. They were charitable. They shared with each other as each had need. It said they went out to the temple courts. So they went right back into the culture that had crucified their leader. And they were a beautiful expression of the gospel because it says, you know, that at the end of that chapter, it says they were loved by all. So they were evangelical, but they were evangelical in a way that did not create political divisions. It was, it was a true expression of Christ and his character because everybody saw that it was beautiful. And so a church that I want to be a part of is one that sits around the kitchen table, that has intimate relationships, that travels with people when they make bad choices, when they have hard times, uh, because there's a high level of commitment and trust. Ultimately, it's a body that is not focused on the perpetuation of itself, which is what the consumer model produces, but it's a body that focuses on Christ and his kingdom. And when that happens, I think things are possible that are not possible under any other framework. And so uh, the world could be transformed through disciples, making disciples, hanging out together, committing to each other under the framework of glorifying God and reaching uh, people for Christ. Yeah. 
That's really, really good. Because, I mean, really, I think it's something that is, it's going to take like a full of like 100% unity. That's something we talk a lot about is trying to just get a unity in the group and we're all, you know, going for that same thing. I guess sort of, sort of related to that. Something uh, we talked about in class the other day was Josh sort of sat us down and said, like, what do you think about work-life balance? I personally think, because this is a question we ask a lot of the mentors is like, you know, how do you maintain work-life balance? I personally think that's why I came on Global U was to learn how to not have work-life balance in a sense of the, in a certain sense of that term in that, you know, like ministry of life is life and life is ministry. So what are your, what are your thoughts on work-life, like work-life balance in terms of that? I mean, it it looks a lot different for me today than it did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. And I, I think looking at divisions like that, where you compartmentalize all this stuff is, is a false paradigm. And that we need to see that we are ministers of the gospel in all dimensions of our life and be careful not to outsource it. I mean, one of the things of the, of the Western Christian is that I have this transactional relationship with a body that I drive to and I, you know, give for the sake of outsourcing, reaching people, caring for people, compassion, ministry. And so I have a job and I have a family and then I have church. And what that to me does is it creates a, a leaky church, meaning it's not, it's not effective in its mission. If we had everybody seeing themselves as ministers of the gospel and they were doing it in the context of all dimensions of life, then the lines between work and the rest of your life are hard to see. One of the things, even in our own community at Adventures and Missions that we talk a lot about is, is boundaries. And I think boundaries in the context of, of truth, boundaries in the context of how we are instructed to live by the gospel are, are good. Boundaries in terms of me time versus other people's time or creating uh, big spaces for rest that's outside of the definition that God's given us, which you know, if, based on what I read, there's six days of, of work and, and one day of, of, sat, of rest. And in the midst of that, you know, I see death, not rest. I see, it's, it says that, you know, that the beginning of understanding Jesus is death to self. When we are persecuted, we are to turn the other cheek. We are to think of others as more highly than ourselves. And if we begin to embrace those fundamental principles, it becomes hard to have all these boundaries in place because you are seeking others first. And so that's something that I've learned increasingly over time. And God has kind of vested into my spirit. And I'm hopeful that this transition in the church begins to have all people that claim Christ as their savior operating under less of a, an outsourcing framework to a group of professionally paid ministers. Yeah. Thank you so much. So now if you, like I said, if you have you know, just a couple of minutes of something that maybe you've been thinking about an exhortation, anything that like for the group of global you. Yeah. I, I, you know, with the thing that the, the, the Lord has given me in the midst of all of these, pulling all of you guys off the field and bringing you home is, is found in Acts 11. And it is consistent with obviously what happened in the early church. It's consistent with what happened when Mao took over in China. It's consistent even in Russia when the, the communists persecuted the Orthodox Church. 
And that is that under the duress of persecution and an an attempt of man to constrain the gospel, uh, the dispersion that happens in the midst of that is the place at which uh, movements of God have taken root. Whether it's in Acts 11, it's uh, right after Stephen was stoned and a number of the apostles, the disciples kind of dispersed because of what had happened there. And in the midst of that, they began to reach the Jews initially, but then the Gentiles in in significant ways. And so you guys are home. Some of you are going back out to the field. Some of you are going back home. In the midst of it, you can't look at this experience as as a season and time that was transactional that is over. It's really a start of a new way of life such that you become an expression of God and his kingdom wherever you go. And you have the beauty of relationships now that you can lean back into because you guys have established deep, deep relationships and whatever it looks like for you going forward, whether you're a leader on global, you, 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 you go to season two in global, you, or you go on to a career or college after that, you now have developed a community that's, that could be virtual in nature or can be proximal in nature, either one. But at the end of the day, you could, you know, what Hebrew says is you encourage each other towards love and good works. And that's what you all are to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you, Dad. So now if we can get Jacob to open it up to the students and bring them in. There we go. Hey, guys. Hey, good morning. Good morning. So we'll just go ahead and y'all just start firing off questions. How do you have a healthy balance between having that like missional community you're talking about and not excluding outsiders? And how do you find uh, people that actually want to sit down at the table with you? You know, those are both very good questions. A community that is an effective missional community is one that is focused on Christ. When focused on Christ, we have our eyes, our spiritual eyes open to the spiritual, physical, emotional needs that are in front of us. So if we're breathing in and out of this community where we're caring and loving and holding each other to account within it, then we will begin to create the character of having those spiritual eyes to reaching people outside of us. Yeah. We oftentimes like to lean into programs. I mean, I've run a ministry that develops programs to try to encourage this, but so many of what you got, so much of what you guys are going to experience is not going to be programmatic. It's just going to be an openness in your spirit to the person that crosses your path and having enough capacity to go, there's a need and a listening ear to the Lord as to how you're going to respond to that need in the small things in life. Yeah. We like to create big strategies and big moves. Most of what happens in the kingdom are in small things. Yeah. How do you find those people? Man, you guys got a huge running start, but it's not easy. Yeah. And it's not how many of us grew up, so it's new. And you have to have a level of commitment to each other that transcends the commitment that we see in the rest of the world that is transactional and, and, and me-focused because it becomes us-focused for the sake of his purposes. So it's hard. Yeah. Those people are, are, are not many, they're few, at least at this stage. And I haven't always had it, so I, I'm not sure I'm the the pro uh, that you yeah. should be asking on that question. But I sure I sure don't know it when I see it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, I got a question as well. So 
Since we are going to be going back to our homes in a month and a half, for those of us who, when they are going home, desire to open up their own small little you know, house church, how, how do you suggest people go about that and still respect the, the social distancing guidelines? How, how do you suggest being the church when you can't really be together, you know? Isn't that an interesting question? I mean, so there's a few things. One, Scripture gives us some, some real clear guidelines on the church. And I would encourage you guys to look at the, the, the I would say, the gift set that God gives the church, which is in Ephesians 4. It talks about that unity at the end of that chapter that Kelson talked about, which is unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. But the other piece is, you know, in, in 2 Timothy and Titus, it talks about elders. So, guys, it's got to be multi-generational. And you, you need the wisdom of an elder, and they need the youthfulness of your all's exuberance and, 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 and excitement about God and his kingdom. And together, that can really produce beautiful things. I mean, one of the things that's happening, if you look at the early church, there's some really interesting elements. In Acts 2, it talks about them meeting in the homes to, eat, to break bread. And the average home in Jerusalem at that time was very, very small, like much smaller than you guys are living in today. So you have to know that that early church was small groups of people that came together and encouraged each other. And so this social distancing is a, is a 10-person limit or whatever it is. Wherever you're going back home, it may even be smaller than that, depending where home is. So got to be creative. But at the end of the day, God can do amazing things with just three people. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, again, let's not lean into old wineskins of having to come together and have techno electronics and all of that stuff. Let's lean together into uh, what the Lord is producing amongst a small group of people and how we encourage each other and love each other and exhort each other towards the things of God and his kingdom and not overthink it, live it. Cool. And you guys are virtual people by nature. I mean, you guys have te- you're technologists, so I mean, it's not ideal, but it is an option. If you think back, they didn't even have telephones. The other thing I'll say to you guys: know that your transition is going to be hard. Just know going in, know that you're going into a choppy season, and that you got to keep your feet moving. You got to just completely dependent upon the listening to what the Lord has in store for you. You guys have been on an exceptional experience in the midst of it. You've had an environment where you can establish deeper intimacy than is easy to establish on the outside of something like what you're experiencing. And when you do that, it's going to be challenging, whether you guys are going to college or you step into leadership over another young group of people, which presents its own set of challenges, or whether you go back home and go to work, you know, having seen the race for four or five years and you guys having a smaller group of people, I think it really even presents more potential challenge. So you guys have to lean into each other, but just go in knowing that these transitions can present challenges and you've got to commit yourself to each other. I have a question. <laughs> How do you find uh, rest and energy in times where you constantly have to be moving? You know, people call me high capacity. I've heard that people have said that a lot to me. And I would tell you this in seasons where I'm intimate with the Lord, regardless of what's going on around me, he provides me an abundance of energy an energy and not just the sense of the physical energy, but the emotional energy, the intellectual capacity. And it flows out of intimacy with the Lord in seasons where I'm not intimate with him, which ebbs and flows. 
simple seasons can become challenging. And so the source of, of that, you know, Paul, the apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. That contentment didn't come through some intellectual strategy of rest and boundaries and renewals and Zen and exercise. It came out of dependency upon the Lord. And that's the only solution to that then is, is, is seeking him in the small things, seeking him in short duration, having conversations with him, not having these transactional, I have my quiet time in the morning and then I go 23 hours without thinking about it again. It's about having the space and connectivity with the Lord that you're constantly seeking his will in your life and you're listening for what he's saying. And you will find yourself not being tired over the long seasons. I get tired in the short seasons. My daughter gets up really early or Julie and I stay up late. All that can, the physical body has its limitations, but in the long haul, there's a, there's a great book that you guys are to you. You guys, it won't mean anything to you yet. You'll need to get a little bit older, but Eugene Peterson wrote a, an obedient walk in the same direction. And it really spoke to me about what it looks like to finish well. And intimacy is the key. Hello. You mentioned like having more people be ministers of the gospel in a way I've even framed that as it was it looked like for like the congregation to be actually like doing something or just having more of a role in the church. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Well, first of all, you've got to define the church. Yeah. And the church is a group of disciples that comes together. It has some elements that the Lord's given us. There's teachers, there's evangelists, there's prophets. And then in the midst of that, <clears throat> there are gradients of, of there's elders and there's young people, there's Paul's and there's Timothy's. And when you get that all together, you don't have to have graduated from a seminary to be a leader in the midst of a, of a community like that. And so then that body needs to be encouraging each other towards love and good works. What is happening at the corner of Lula Road and Clark's Bridge Road? I don't know, but there are people living quiet lives of desperation stopping at that intersection every day. So the matter of engagement is having an opening in your spirit to see where God wants you to move into and be an expression of him. It's no more complicated than that. And that's why the, the church is so important is because we will continue to encourage each other, push each other towards that. Yeah, and, and that's something I've been thinking about is like, I think that works great when you have people that are like on the meat, but what do you do for the people that are still drinking milk? And then you hear a lot about like in First Peter, different parts about like warning against the false teachers and even hearing about like small groups and churches that I grew up in that like totally like, like led their whole small group astray because of things they said and some of the challenges that come with that. Well, that's where, you know, spending time in scripture all the time and not having a, an, a persuasive individual. You and I talked about this on the front porch the other day yeah. where you've got a person that doesn't know how to lead themselves. It's that's actually gifted in leading others. And if those others are not themselves pursuing God's word in a deep and rich way through prayer, then that, that can happen to a tribe mm -hmm. uh, because you don't have any corrective forces because the sheep are not, not themselves seeking nutrition. And so you guys have to do that. And 
there are great churches in the U.S. that are seeking the Lord's will, and they have paid pastors. I am not depreciating that church at all. What I'm cautioning us to be is not a person that looks for somebody to stand up in front of us and have great persuasion techniques. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for you guys to look for a body of believers that are willing to commit to themselves, for those that are drinking milk, to challenge them to know where they are and to bring them with you and to show them grace. Paul says to show them grace, but you got to bring them with you. you. And some people are going to move at different speeds through different life events in my own journey. I had to have, I had to run into some brick walls to consider the deeper things of Jesus. It wasn't some profound teacher. It was me coming to the end of myself because hmm. I have a strong soul. I have a strong, I can go a long way before I get to the end of myself. But the Lord's gotten me there a couple of times and they were times of growth for me. And when done in community, it can really be a beautiful thing. It can be beautiful outside of community too, but would much rather do it in a, in, with a group of people around me that I know love me, that I know are committed to me, that I know are pursuing the same thing, which is Jesus and his kingdom. That's so good. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time here. So if we have Stephen, go ahead and bless my dad as we send him off. Sure. Lord, I thank you so much for Bob Mudd, and I thank you for his his time and his willingness to jump on a call with us and just just spread his the the wisdom and the the just knowledge that he's gained. I just thank you so much for the way that him and and many others like him just desired to pour into young people. I just pray that you will continue to just bless his his choices and, and the decisions that he makes under your authority. And I just I just thank you so much for the time and, and the, the space that we get to have to ask him questions and to uh, just really come under his guidance and understand how maybe we can better lead ourselves based on how you have led him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of Global U Talks. If you enjoyed this episode or think a friend might enjoy it, go ahead and share it with them. Also, be sure to drop a review or hit the like button on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite listening app. It goes a long way to helping us out. And if you're interested in reading the transcript, head on over to globalu.org talks, where you'll find the transcript for every episode. So until next time, thank you for listening to this Global U Talks episode with Bob Mudd.